Hey, everybody. It's then again. Then Ken. And Glenn. Yes. And the Normans. And yes, the and the Normans. Normans. Part two. <laughs> or part deux, part as they deux. said after they settled deux. down into, into the lovely Seine Valley. I guess it's a Seine Valley. It's a Loire Valley. It's a Seine they, they Valley. They started the Seine Valley. Sure, Seine well, you know, and we just getting ready for this podcast, sitting here chatting. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about the importance of Normans going across to England, and you, and you've heard us talk about October fourteenth and the Battle of Hastings and all that, and that was the battle that basically secured England for the Normans because, in effect, they had by that point killed all of the ruling class, or at least exactly. eliminated them. So we won't go into that awesome right. story, right, but right. <laughs> it's the follow up. You don't conquer. As cool as that battle was. It's, and it's, it's one it's, thing to conquer, it's another to rule. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So they conquered within a, a space of about two months. Yeah. But yeah. ruling is something that they have to set up. Now, as you said in the last episode, there's already a nice bureaucratic system in mm-hmm. th- that's the, the envy of all of the rest of Europe in place in Anglo-Saxon England. So the Normans go in, William goes in, but to make sure that everything is the way he wants it to be, because that Anglo-Saxon ruling class is gone, he starts to supplant and replace the Anglo-Saxons with Normans. Especially after some of those Anglo-Saxons, the ones that are left of the nobility, rebel against him. Don't rebel against oh, a Norman. Not, not, and not against William. <laughs> he's called the bastard because he's literally legally a bastard, and he's a bastard. <laughs> Capital don't, B and lowercase don't, B. Don't rebel against this guy. But one of the things that he, he do, that helps him in allocating these new lands to new people, you have to know who owned the land to begin with. And Doomsday Book is created, you know, this, this comprehensive listing of all the lands, who owns them, by what right, and who they can be given to, basically. And how much can be extracted and from them. And how much wealth can be extracted from them, exactly. And once again, it's a tribute to Anglo-Saxon's bureauc- Anglo-Saxon English bureaucracy and the Norman adaptability you talked about, because that doomsday book couldn't have been created without the infrastructure that was already there from the Anglo-Saxons, right. plus... The Norman idea and ingenuity of, all right, well, let's take advantage of it for this purpose. Because, you know, everyone, you know, everyone wants land, and everyone also wants the title to that land to be nice and clear. Nice and legal. Nice and legal. And there's something to be said for that. You as the conqueror coming in, if you make it nice and legal, I mean, people are still going to grumble, but perhaps not revolt as much, especially after they see what you've done. But also, speak to Norman law coming into Anglo-Saxon England law. There's a big change there, too, I think. There is, and you can can tell from the way modern language works. You know, things like jury and, well, legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, those Those come from the French. Because it starts to supplant, because that's how you take, that's how you maintain control right. of, of the area, is you bring in, so the Anglo-Saxons have the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. the, the for, this is a, an anachronistic term, but the, the bureaucrats, right. the civil servants in place, but what you're going to do is change the law. So you bring in the law from Normandy. Right. In the past, the earls, the, they had owned the land mm-hmm. and had just basically had allegiance to the king. Now, William comes in and says, we're going to do things different, and we're going to do it like it is in Normandy. I, the king, owns every square inch of this land. I own it forever, as me and my heirs will own it forever. Mm -hmm. But you will hold it of me until I decide to take it away. That sounds like a subtle difference, but it's actually huge. It's huge, yeah. it, It allows the king 
to have the prerogative to determine who's going to be in charge where, what he wants to take over. Keep his nobles from getting too powerful and challenging him, which is, I mean, look no further than the final flowering of Anglo-Saxon England. Harold was more powerful than Edward. I mean, oh, he, he was. He was more po- so. So here was a king. He was more popular. He held more land. Had more land. Was richer. You know. So th- there's something to be said for this system. And I think it's also worth noting that it's that it's Norman law that William was using as his case that he's got the claim to the throne of England versus Anglo-Saxon law, which v- was very cut and dry about the Council of Elders, the Witan, elects the king. We usually choose from the from the you know royal family, but we can elect who we want. Right. We elected Harold. He's the king of England. Done. Well, not according to Norman law, because in Norman law, it's you're, hereditary. You're, 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 well, you're, and your king, who was childless, promised it to me. So therefore, it's mine. Right. Two and different systems. So it's it's very interesting how the the Normans can use Norman law to their advantage, use Anglo-Saxon infrastructure when it suits them, and the courts. And this is I will be honest. I love medieval history. <laughs> But there's a lot of information out there about medieval courts, and it's dull as dirt. <laughs> but it's important because it that's is. how they, that's how they run the country. That's how the day to day works. And, you know, if 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 my cow died and it's because you stole it, and whose land is this? You know, all the way from the peasants all the way up to well, my daughter married this man, and he didn't pay his dowry, and now I'm going to go to war with him if the courts won't fix it. Well, that's an issue too. Exactly. And of course, according to Norman law, who is the final arbiter of justice? The, the king. The king. And so he he appoints, you know, because justice he can't artist. literally sit in justice on every case. You have a court system. Yeah, you have to have a court system. And here's the other thing: he's not just displacing and replacing the Anglo-Saxon secular authority. He's doing the church as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can't remember the. It's like not even twenty years after Hastings. There's one Anglo-Saxon bishop left, and mm-hmm. all the rest of the bishops and archbishops are now Norman. Yeah. He's brought them over from from Normandy, where they were in different monastic houses or what have you. And now the church is totally run. Well, that's not true. Let me back up. <laughs> the church is controlled, controlled. by members of authority right. that are Norman. Right. It's run by that good old-fashioned Anglo-Saxon church bureaucracy. And let's talk literally about the structure, as in what it's built of, literally what the churches are built of, because in Anglo-Saxon England, there was a tradition of building with wood. I mean, they could build with stone, but buildings were usually wood. It was incredibly uncommon to have a stone building. Incredibly. And so that's one of the big renovations you see with the Normans expanding into England is is stone churches and of a different style. The, quote, Romanesque style is most definitely introduced into England. And it's definitely my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very nice. It really is. It's gorgeous. I prefer it to the Gothic. That's that's for later. Yeah. So it's not just taking over the administration, but also taking over literally what does the church look like. And that's that has an effect on the psyche of the people. They they see this is literally a new church. And that's a good point because the Normans don't only change the law, they don't only change how things are run. They literally change the landscape with these new churches and these new castles. Castles, because once again, castles also traditionally Built of wood. Well, you know, depending on what your depending definition on what your, of castle yeah, yeah, well, depending is. Depending on yeah, but but listen, but 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 the outlying you know outlying fortifications in the hinterlands. Yeah, were, you know wooden fortifications. But the Normans, they are castle crazy. They build them everywhere. They they dig a they dig a circular ditch. They put the the spoil from the ditch into the middle. They build at first a wood and then a stone. 
building on top of that and then surround it with, at first, wood and then stone and then walls. Stone, the the Motten Bailey Castle, and they spring up all over. Because they're not community-owned, they're privately-owned. These are, these are fortified private residences for the people that William has put in power right. for this spot or that spot. And they also are making a statement. Who lives in that castle? Not a Saxon. Who built that castle? Not a Saxon. No, the Saxons did the, oh, the work. Right, exactly. I guess you were saying, yeah, it, yeah. Is, that's a, that's who, a, that's, who built it, but who lives in it? Yeah, exactly. That, and see, that's a, that's, a, that's a twist that the Normans, that's a great example of a twist the Normans put on Anglo-Saxon law. By Anglo-Saxon law, every free person mm-hmm. was due to work on public roads, public bridges, and public fortifications. Mm-hmm. Now, they work <laughs> on public roads, owned by the Lord, public bridges, owned by the Lord, and the Lord's fortifications, which are these castles. And you have to, you have to imagine that you grew up in a world where the churches are all wood, the fortifications are l- relatively low to the ground. They're usually not more than one, maybe two stories. Right. And now, everywhere you go in your right. home, you Here's see a this hill with a stone tower. A stone tower, and the stones are painted white. We think of castles today as gray stone, but, right. but back in the day, the outside of churches and the outside of these stone castles, these keeps, right. were blazing, glaring white. And you may you can have heard imagine, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Tower of London. It was called the White Tower for a reason. Because <laughs> they, were, they were bright yeah, white. Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's done consciously. It's, you know, they, they didn't have to paint it at all. Or they could have painted another color, but white is going to reflect light, and you are going to see it, a symbol of Norman power shining across your land. Physical manifestation. Physical manifestation. So, so you know, so and if any of you ever have the great good fortune to go to England, first off, do. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Glenn and I have both, both been there, and, you you know, you drive across. I mean, I, I've climbed up into Norman Mountain Bailey keeps, you know, uh, just, you know, from the simplest to the to the most, and to the Tower of London, you know, and you drive across that countryside, and it really does make an impression because even you, today, you, even today, you still see a lot of things that were built in that fifty to seventy five years after the after the conquest, and you, you it really brings it home to you just what an amazing change this must have been for these people, and that and see that's power, and yep. in, in the early. Now, later on in, in English history, they become very defensive for the defense of the realm and things. Right. But during this taking over period during William's initial reign is those castles are to control the local population, right. period, to, to overawe and control the local population. Same thing with the churches. When the benefits of your eternal salvation <laughs> come from the hand of a Norman and not the hand of a Saxon, that is also... A strong message as right. to who is in charge, not only in this life, but for the portals to the next. Exactly, exactly. Now, and we've, we've said several times here, the you know, for pacifying the land and, and that sort of thing. So it bears mentioning that, of course, William's uh, rule was not uncontested. And, and, and as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a very special name for what happened when he responded. It's called the harrying of the north. I don't know if any of you know what the meaning of the word harry, to harry something, means. But there are types of dogs that are bred as harriers, meaning they bite and chew and, and they just jump on you, jump they push on you over, and, and they don't they don't stop until you're dead. <laughs> and in fact, there's a jet called the Harrier Jet, which is much the same thing. <laughs> but uh, so, in other words, when especially in the north, uh, some of the northern lords rebel against him. Glenn, you take it from there. He just he just does what he yeah, does. Yeah, it's 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 best. There's a guy named. Well, this is a slightly different. This is uh, where it starts. There's a guy named according to legend, Herod the Wake, 
who goes in to the fins and he's trying to resist mm-hmm. uh, Norman Power. And it spreads to the north of England. It's it's in the north because that's always been the most rebellious, number Absolutely. one, all the way back to the Roman times. Right. And number two, it's further away from the seats of power in the south. Right. And so they decide to form a rebellion to take over the Norman castles, the castles that have been built there, to not pay their taxes. And William decides to make an example of the entire north of England. We would say the entire north, basically the yeah. entire Yorkshire area. Right. But that's but that's key what you just said. It's not he doesn't just punish the people specifically rebelling. He says, you know what? I'm just gonna harry the whole area. Yeah. It's 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 literally laying the area waste. He's yeah. burnt he's burning things. The only things he's not burning are the symbols of Norman power. <laughs> uh, he's burning farms, he's burning villages, he's forcing, literally forcing on purpose people to starve over the winter. Yep. And it is a horrific experience for those who 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 had to go through it. And it works not so much because he's overawed the population, but because the population goes away by about 50% in the north. <laughs> exactly. This this great book that you're talking about, the Domesday book, yeah. there uh, it was done after the harrying of the right, north. Right, and it gives you a pretty clear financial picture. It, it does. Which it, then it, leads to what the personal picture must have been like. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, so there's there's with each area, with each holding that the Domesday book describes, it has what it produced and had in the time of Edward, and yep. what it has now. And what it has now, when you start looking at the North, there are a lot, a lot of headings that say, they, all they say is, Vasta. Wasted. Wasted. Ugh. Nothing. Ugh. There's no houses. There's no cattle. There's no people. It is literally laid waste. Laid waste. And you know what? It doesn't say who laid waste, but I think we, we all know. We all, we all know. <laughs> and... This, you know, and so that pretty much establishes the end of serious rebellion against yeah. William in England. And by the time you get to his death in 1087, I forgot I see, now, yeah, yeah. 1087, he must be feeling bad about it because he is, he knows he's about to die. And his confession is basically, I am so sorry for everything that I did to the people of the North. <laughs> exactly. And you just cannot overemphasize the degree to which a medieval Christian took the seriousness of their deathbed. You cannot. I mean, it, they, you know, and so William was not a man who said he was sorry for anything very readily. So, so this really must have been weighing on his mind. And I don't really think this is one of those things that a chronicler made up either. I mean, this, this sounds like something that would have been said by someone of that, in that situation. He he knew what he did. He knew very oh well. Oh my God, he knew what he did. And that's well, well, even even with with Battle Abbey, he founded an abbey on the spot where Harold died because he also knew he killed a lot of people he, to get that he done. Of, well, he also knew he killed the King of England, right? Because even the Normans never said Harold and, wasn't legally crowned, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and see, that's when you look at the the chroniclers <laughs> of the time, even the ones who are, for lack of a better word, pro Norman. They're like, yeah, there were things were done. Things that, were done. Things Mistakes were, done were made that that should not have been done. Uh, it was pretty cruel, there, Your Majesty the King, and you can't really kill us because you know it's true. And obviously, it went with you to your deathbed. <laughs> exactly. So. Let's talk. Well, this will be a springboard. So you know, William dies, and now he has crushed rebellions. He has, he has a firm grip. It is, it is now firmly Norman England. And now that sets the stage for the next couple of centuries and a half or so of what does this Norman in England hybrid become? Well, 
a lot of ways, it becomes the Plantagenets. It, do, it does, yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, it and does. then it comes to fighting amongst itself, and and then Tudors, and then Hanoverians, and you know, all sorts of fun right. things. I left the Stuarts out, but uh, anyway, oh, poor Stuarts. But but uh, but the Anglo-Norman England is the next big thing. This this blending of the two, because I think it's one could say that it's in England that the outside Normandy influence of the Normans stays the longest. It, I think so. I think that's a very fair statement. As a matter of fact, it was recognized how important England was to the Normans because on William's death, he doesn't let England and the duchy go to a single son. He that's splits right. it between two sons mm-hmm. and because he thinks that it needs to be its own thing. Now, the two sons have a fallen out and one mysteriously dies and the other one <laughs> while hunting in a forest remarkable. what could have happened could, no was he accidentally <laughs> struck by an accidental bow shot from an accidental tree he was oh my goodness this but thing so happens all the time one guy ends up getting control and it continues that way until the hundred years war and lots of right. things happen but it's it it sets the tone right that norman way of doing things really sets the tone for how normans do things everywhere else they go right it's 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 a very it's a very recurring pattern because it's a very effective pattern. Well, ex- exactly. It succeeded. Yeah. And and on that note, we'll see y'all later. Or here, we won't see you. We, we may. Who knows? They may, may show up here and demand. <laughs> demand and more insist. podcasts, more information about the Normans inside. I hear them outside now. Bye. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.